Hi, welcome to Coast Hills Church Weekend Online Sermon by Pastor Chet Lowe. We invite you to attend our services on Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. Our address is 5 Pursuit, Alicia Viejo, California, 92656. We hope to see you soon, and God bless. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Colossians chapter 1, and while you're turning there, would you please stand with me as we honor God and His Word. Colossians chapter 1, you'll see it on the big screen behind me, or you can get a Bible in the seat back pocket that's right in front of you. Colossians chapter 1, found in the New Testament, I'm going to start reading in verse 15, 13, I'm sorry. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, speaking of the beloved son, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. I've underlined this in my Bible. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Would you pray with me? Lord, we... We are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the direction it gives us. We're so thankful it's life. We're so thankful it's a double-edged sword where it offers grace and truth, mercy and justice. And I pray, Lord, that as we now study your word, faithfully we've come, that you would grant unto us the wisdom we need to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Would you please have your seat? We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of John. And if you want to turn to John chapter 3, John chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 22. Paul, in the book of Colossae, is letting the church know there's two kingdoms. And as believers, those that have trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord, we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and been transferred or given to the kingdom of his beloved son. What Paul does to the church in Colossae is he, he begins to describe the beloved son because these are Gentiles. They've got no context of the Jewish Messiah. In fact, in their cultural context, there is a multiplicity of false gods to worship. And so Paul, he's got to explain to them, he's got to teach them the Jewish Messiah. 
He's got to explain to them who is the beloved son, and amongst all these other gods that they've been so used to worshiping, they've got to make Jesus preeminent in their life. Preeminence. Sounds like I'm speaking tongues, but I'm not. It's a big theological word, preeminence. I had to practice it all week just to say it out. And I encourage you in your notes just to write it down a few times. I guarantee you'll misspell it once or twice. Preeminence. I'll never forget, I was dropping my son at Covenant College in Tennessee, Georgia. Oh, not Tennessee, Georgia. Lookout Mountain, Georgia, just next to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And when I was dropping him off, I was driving up to the college, and there was a sign. And the sign was, in all things, Christ preeminent. I was arrested. There was something about that sign that grabbed my attention where I asked myself the question, is this true in my life? Is this true in my life? Now, before you can ask yourself if it's true, you got to know what it means. I mean, sometimes we say things like these big God words, and we've got no, exa- no idea what they mean, but we use them and we say them, but yet we don't know what they are. So preeminence, we've got to understand what it means. I'll never forget, you've heard this story before. I'm sitting in our church, and the custom of our church when I was a young guy is that we would all stand up and we would say the Lord's Prayer. Well, every week, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And one week, we're driving home, and I asked my mom, why do we celebrate Halloween every week at church? And my mom said to me, what are you talking about? I said, every week, we stand up and we talk about the past tense of Halloween, Hallowed. And she goes, are you kidding me? And she turned around, and my mom is like, we call her the prophetess. She thought I was making fun of the Lord's Prayer, and she goes, an abomination. How dare you make fun? I go, I'm not. I promise, because I knew what was coming after abomination, the switch. And so I'm like, no, that is not the point. I don't know what it means. And she began to describe to me what the word hallowed means. So I want to help you understand what preeminence means. It simply means what Paul is trying to get across. you got to make Christ first in all things because he is first. Listen again. Christ is first, period. It's what we believe. And so we have an opportunity to make him first. And that's the title of this message, Making Christ First. I ask you to turn your Bible to John. Go there with me, John chapter 3, verse 22. And in our journey as we study John, John gives an example. In fact, he gives two great examples of people who made Christ first in their lives. Now, before we go there, I want to catch us up in our study. If you're joining us for the first time, we're studying the book of John. And as I catch you up, I need to help you understand that John is giving the journey of the Christian. He's giving the journey that it is when we join this thing called Christianity. So he's giving this life of faith. So the very first chapter, Jesus, John records, he looks at Peter and he says, You are Simon, you shall be Cephas. I'm going to do something radical with your life, so radical, just like turning John chapter 2, water to wine. I'm going to completely transform who you are. 
So he meets Peter, but in the third chapter, he meets another fellow. Remember, Nick at night, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes at night, one of the part of the Sanhedrin, and he's going to reveal to us where this process begins, where this transformation is going to happen. And he says to Nicodemus, you must, now I want you to keep that word in your mind, you must be born again by believing in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus will receive us wherever we're at, but he loves us too much to leave us there. Did you hear that? He will take us wherever we are at, but he loves us too much to leave us there because he has a goal for our life. He has a goal for our life. John reveals that goal in John 21, as the Father sent me, so I, oh church, look who's learning, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Jesus has a goal to send us. Listen, it's why we're offering mission trips. Yes, shameless plug for our mission trips, because we're a missional church, and we believe that God has a goal for us. And maybe you won't go on a trip, but maybe you can support a trip. Maybe you can support someone who's going on a trip. Maybe you can be a part of praying for someone or praying for the project as we purpose to plant churches and support churches around the world. The Father sent me, so I sent you. And what we're going to do We're going to watch Jesus, and we're going to watch John. We're going to see how this is played out in two examples. Let's look at the first one, John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. I love Jesus. Jesus doesn't waste any time, but immediately he gets his disciples involved with ministry. They are in, not the children's ministry, not the uh, food pantry ministry. They are in the baptism ministry because it's the work that Jesus is doing at that time. There is a major baptism movement going on in the nation of Israel. John is seeing hundreds of people come from Galilee, where John the Apostle was from, and come from Jerusalem, where the Pharisees were from, all coming to the Jordan River to be baptized. We've got a phenomenal movement of the work of God happening. Now, this movement didn't last forever. It's like a good swell. When a good swell comes through, listen, surfers stop working and they go down to the water because... You don't know how long this swell's going to last. And you want to ride the wave while you can. The same way here at Coast Hills. Let me tell you something going on. In our community, there's a movement. It's a movement of the enemy bringing a lot of sadness to the kids in our community. And let me tell you something. After you see three suicides in our community amongst children under the age of 18 years old, you begin to wonder, God, how does the church get involved with dealing with this issue? And so we're bringing Jim Burns in. We're bringing Sherry Worrell in. We're bringing Gina in. We're bringing people here so that you can invite your friends to help 
parents spiritually deal with what's going on in our community. It's the wave that we're going to ride in order to minister effectively to what's going on. But I love Jesus. Jesus knows this wave and immediately he puts his disciples involved because that's the way that Jesus disciples people. He immediately gets them involved with ministry. Go down to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 1. Read this with me. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. John parenthetically lets us know what's going on. As soon as the disciples decided we're in the ministry, Jesus got them involved immediately. Uh, I go sailing with a guy by the name of Chuck Bayless. Now, most of you know him in our church. He's had some impact in everyone's life in our church. If you don't know him, you need to, okay? And every Thursday, we have an opportunity to go sailing. So my first Thursday, I go to the boat, and I'm thinking he's going to teach me the boat, and he's going to show me the, not the ropes, the lines. He's going to show me the sheets. He's going to show me the sails. He's going to show me the stern and the bow, and he's going to reveal everything to me, and there was no thought in my mind that on that particular Thursday, I was going to enter a race. So I show up at the boat, and we begin to leave the dock, and I'm like, Chuck, where are we going? He goes, oh, we're in a race. Uh, Chuck, there's five of us. Two of us here are here for the first time. Oh, we're good. Um, I really trust you, but (laughs) I don't trust me. I definitely don't trust me. And I'm thinking to myself, you are crazy. And as we're going out the dock, this is what he says to me. The best way for you to learn is to be in it. Church, can I tell you something? You can't just sit in the pew. The best way for you to learn is to follow the example of Jesus and you get right into ministry immediately. That's the way that Jesus disciples. And so the disciples become our first example. The disciples for us become our first example of what it means to make Christ first in your life. They chose to leave everything. That's what this meant. They left everything everything. They left the fishing business. They left left the tax collecting business. They left the knowledge business. They left the Roman Greco world business. They left all of their businesses and they followed after Jesus. Their life, listen carefully, their life became ministry. You see, this is the mentality that everything I do and everything I'm a part of is about making Christ first in my life. Everything I do and everything I'm a part of, it means that I'm making Christ first in my life. So I'm a husband. Let me tell you what, if Christ is first in my life, I'm loving my wife as Christ loves the church. You see, I'm a father. And as a father, if Christ is first in my life, my life is ministry. If I'm a father, then I'm raising my children in the fear of the Lord. If you're a wife, Christ is first, you're choosing to respect your husband. If you're a child, you're choosing to honor your parents as unto the Lord. If you're an employee, whether you've got a good employer or not, you are choosing to work unto the Lord with all of your heart if Christ is first. As a member of this church, 
If Christ is first, then you're choosing to offer your gifts for the benefit of someone else. And as a part of this world, if Christ is first, I realize as the Father sent Jesus, so he's sending me. You see, the disciples reveal to us that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we choose to make him first. But there's another example. John gives us another example. Would you look with me at John chapter 3, verse 23? John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim. Now, this is John the Baptist, not John the Apostle. Because water was plentiful there. and People were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. John the Baptist is our second example. He put Christ first in his life. John the Baptist is our second example. See, John the Baptist was still in the baptism ministry. And the thing about John the Baptist's ministry was it was right around the corner from where Jesus was for a very practical reason. There was a lot of water there at the Jordan. Right there, around the corner from where Jesus was, there just so happened to be a lot of water. Now, theologically, theologians will underline this word, they'll circle this word, they'll bold this word, and that's why some sprinkle, and that's why some dump. You you need a lot of water to dunk, and you need just a little bit of water to sprinkle, and that's why we dunk, because they dunk. And so we bring down in the water to represent this this grave-like experience, and then we raise you up from the water to represent this newness of life experience. And so here is John right around the corner from Jesus and he's in the baptismal ministry because it's practical. There's a lot of water and he's not in jail yet. And because there's a lot of water and because he's not in jail yet, he sees the movement of the Spirit of God in this baptismal ministry. Guess what he's doing? He's baptizing. He's just baptizing. You see, I believe God always provides a place and a way for us to minister. And whether it's the Shireens that are next door, or whether it's the person that sits next to you or in the office beside you at work, or whether it's the student that's next to you in that college class, God is always providing a way for us to minister. And we've got to choose to seize the moment before it's too late. John is about to go to prison. He sees and doesn't even know that. But he sees water, he sees people, and he chooses to minister. We've got to choose to seize the moment. Now, a discussion, verse 25. A discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now, purification is just a big word for they were arguing about baptism. And they came to John and said, Uh, to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, uh, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Now a discussion arose. Maybe you want to write this word down. This Greek word discussion, it was a very familiar term to the Greco culture. It's the word zetesis. Z-E-T-E S-I-S. Z-E-T-E-S-I-S. You see, the Greek culture, they lived off of debates and discussions. And this word doesn't mean that I'm asking you a question because I want to gain understanding. 
No, this word means I'm asking you a question because I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to debate with you. In fact, I'm trying to cause division in your thinking so that I can win the debate. This is the kind of discussion that we're having. And we know that it was this kind of discussion because we just read in John chapter 4 that Jesus found out that the Pharisees were arguing with John's disciples. And we're going to see in John chapter 4, Jesus will have nothing to do with the argument. So he just leaves and goes somewhere else. But it riles up the disciples of John. It riles them up so much that they go to John and they ask him a question. Uh, John... John the Baptist, uh, do you remember the guy you baptized? You remember the one that you had authority over? <laughs> you remember the one you started this ministry? Remember the one that you were the one that kind of introduced him? Remember that one? Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but <clears throat> John, his ministry is getting a little bit bigger than our ministry. I hear this discussion all the time. Did you hear what was happening over at Mountain View? Did you hear what Compass is doing? Saddleback had a big event. Why don't we do them? <laughs> did you hear what JP was doing over at Crossline? He had a huge men's event. Did you, did you hear this? Did you hear what was happening over in... Can I let you guys know something? Just in Aliso Viejo, Laguna Niguel, and Laguna Hills... There are over 150,000 people. They all can't fit at this church. I need to let you guys know something. Over 150,000 people are in this community. The water is plentiful. We need these churches to help us conquer this land. We're not competing with them. We're complimenting them. And besides... I know all of them, and I love them, all of them. Easter Sunday morning, I texted Todd Redarmel, I'm praying for you to have a big harvest. I texted JP, I'm praying for you to have a big harvest. I texted Brian Boderson, I texted Jeff Gill up in LA, I'm praying for you to have a huge harvest. Not one of them texted me back. I think we should have a discussion about them. <laughs> but this question was not just about baptism. This question was a personal question for John. And the issue, John, is who is greatest in your life. See, the Holy Spirit is asking John this question. John's got big ministry. John's got big plans. And the Holy Spirit for a moment brings this question to John because I believe the Holy Spirit is bringing us this question as well. You see, it's an evaluation point where we have to answer this question. Is Jesus first in my life or am I? That's the question. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to get across. Is Jesus first or am I? Now what I love is John's answer. Because through John's answer that John the Apostle records, we have an opportunity to see how John made him first. Would you look with me at John 3.27? The Bible says John answered, 
A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. Maybe you want to write it down. We need to recognize where it all comes from in the first place. If we want to make Christ preeminent, if we want to make Christ first in our life, we've got to realize where it all comes from in the first place. You see, I'm renovating my house, and I know that I've told you I want to have an open house, okay? I'm not done. Trust me, if anyone wants to be done, it's me, okay? We had one toilet for a month and a half with nine people, okay? I want the house done. So if anyone wants the house done, trust me, it is me. But there's someone else that I think wants the house done um, almost just as much as I do. Zach. You met Zach. You see, you thought I was going to say Andrea. Mm -mm, Andrea don't care. Andrea could live in a tent in the backyard. She'd be fine. Trust me. she, 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 She has a happy place that we're all trying to get to. First, I thought other substances were involved. Now I realize that she is just filled with the Holy Spirit and we're trying to get there. My whole family, she'll be singing and dancing. Things are dropping, falling everywhere in the world. She's like, oh, praise the name of the Lord. I'm like, Andrea, come back. (laughs) She don't care. But I'll tell you, Zach, you know why Zach cares? Four months ago, I took his shovel. I've had his shovel for four months. He wants his shovel back but I like his shovel much more than I like my shovel. He has a metal handle. I don't have a metal handle. I have a wood handle. And every time I put my shovel into the dirt, it feels like it's going to break. But when I put his shovel in the dirt, oh, it don't break. You should see the dirt that it moves. It's a great shovel. But here's the truth. It's Zach's shovel. I'm going to have to give it back. It doesn't belong to me. Can I tell you that everything that we have is from the Lord? There is nothing self-made about any single one of us. There is nothing self-made about any single one of us. For example, what part of you kept your heart pumping last night? Did you wake up every minute and go, you still going? You still going? Or did you wake up this morning going, thank God I'm alive? Because not a lot of people, not a lot of people realize that. You see... Where were you when God was forming your brain and your nervous system? Where were you when he put the miles of arteries and veins in your body, all shoved up nice and tight in their perfect place? Where were you when he was making your organs that keep us functioning? He is God, period. Watch this, watch this. We'll do it for you guys. Do you know what that took? I said to myself, I would like to blink. My brain said to myself, you can blink. Then my brain said, send a message to the muscles because Chet would like to blink. Then the muscles got the message, we're going to blink. Then the eyes go, okay, here we go. (laughs) And all of that took place in a twinkling of an eye. Is not God incredible? So what part of you made your business? What part of you developed your idea? 
What part of you are able to sing, dance, play? What part of you would be able to be who you are if it was not for Jesus? That's why we give it back to him. It's his time. It's his talent. It's his treasure. It's his testimony. And if Christ is first in our life, we've got no problem giving the shovel back. It belongs to him anyway. It belongs to him anyway. Look at verse 28. Bible goes on to say, speaking of John's answer, he says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. Maybe you want to write it down. We need to recognize the responsibility of fulfilling the role that he's given to us. We need to recognize the responsibility of fulfilling the role that he has given to us. You see, John is using this moment to teach his guys. And he's speaking to them. He says, listen, I'm not the Christ. I've got a role that was given to me by God. And I wonder if we, like John, do the same thing. I didn't. I was a pre-med major. I had a Bachelor of Science in Biology. I was getting my Master's in Virology. I wanted to go to medical school. I applied to 10. I got accepted by zero. I went to God and I said, God, I want to be a doctor, bless it. Hey, God, I want to do this, help me. Instead of, I belong to you, what do you want me to do? And God shuts the door because he says, I want you to be a pastor. And by the way, Chet, you don't even like blood, so how could you be a doctor? <laughs> you got so much so, let me tell you. I was a paramedic. That's how one of the ways I got myself through college, right? I couldn't take the truck. I couldn't take the truck because I couldn't do head injuries. One time, a woman comes into the ER. She has a head injury, and the doctor asks me to assist him as he's stitching up this head injury. As he's stitching it up, I feel myself going. I'm the paramedic helping him. He goes, looks at me, and I look at him, and I go, he goes, you need to leave the room. And I go, I'm gone. I begin to walk out as I'm holding the gurney. I pass out on the woman on the gurney. God says, you wanted to be a doctor? Are you for real? You see, John is teaching us if Christ is first, we learn our role just as he did. We learn it through the word and we learn it through worship. You see, the word, if you remember, John says this. He goes, listen, guys, here's the deal. Remember when the Pharisees came and they asked me who I was? I defined myself through the book of Isaiah. I said, I'm the voice of one calling out in the wilderness. I defined myself with the word, but I also defined myself with worship because my life is worship. So I entered a community called the Essenes. And it was there as I was serving that people began to go, John, you're like a prophet. John, you don't care what people think. John, when anyone comes, you tell them how it is. And as I'm serving in community, giving the worship of my life, other people began to define me, and it was just like me. Chet, you really love missions. Chet, when you teach the Bible, I can understand it. Hey, Chet, when you, and Chet, when you, and all of a sudden, because I'm serving in community, and I'm in the word of God, I begin to realize I'm not a doctor. God is preparing me to be a pastor. And if Christ is first, we're going to discover our role through word and worship. Look at the next, verse 29. 
John goes on to say, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Listen carefully. If we choose to make Christ first, we recognize the word with joy. Now let me communicate. We recognize the word with joy. In this culture, the, bro- the groom would go off and get the bride. Before he left, he would leave instructions to the best man. This is what I want to see when I get back. And the best man was responsible to put all of the wedding in order. That was the responsibility. Here in our culture, it's the bride and the bridesmaids. In this culture, it was the best man. When he came back with the bride and the wedding was all ready, he would out loud give an accolade to the best man and the best man would hear that word and rejoice. John is using that as an illustration and he's saying, listen, I'm just the best man. I was given a task to do. I heard the word of God. And when I heard it, I am filled with joy in doing it. From the moment that the word of God entered John the Baptist's life, he was filled with joy. Do you remember when Mary pregnant comes up to Elizabeth pregnant and the word of God in Mary's stomach comes walking up to John? What did John do? Inside the womb. (laughs) He's like jumping where her belly's going. Boom, 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 boom. John is leaping for joy because the word of God came into his life. And when we recognize the word with joy, when Christ is first in our lives, our heart rejoices at the word. And whether it's an encouragement or whether it's an exhortation, we rejoice. John 3.30, he must Increase. Now, I've got this underlined in my Bible, but I must decrease. So now John gives us some action steps, and we need to recognize the action steps to take. So in the point of our study, we've come to a place of evaluation, and I want to ask us all a question. Are we willing to make Christ first? For me, this is a daily process. I don't know what it is for you, but for me, from the moment I wake up in the morning, I am selfish. From the moment that my belly goes, feed me, I realize my flesh longs for control. Maybe your body goes, caffeinate me now. (laughs) And when I wake up in the morning, I realize he must increase, I must decrease, Now remember I asked you earlier in our Bible study, you must be born again. That's where the journey begins. You must decrease is where the journey continues. You must decrease is where it continues. You see, when you realize that Christ is first, there's no other option for you. Like there's no other option to get to heaven, there is no other option in this life. When you realize that Christ is first, you must decrease. You see, what John the Apostle does now is he takes it from John the Baptist. And now what John the Apostle is going to do is add just a little bit of commentary. And here's where we close. He's going to add just this little bit of commentary for us to see how we can make Christ preeminent because he is preeminent. And look what John says right there in verse 31. This is now John the Apostle's commentary. And he says this in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. 
I want you to write it down. Jesus is above all, period. That is who Jesus is. He is preeminent. He is above all. And let me tell you something. For someone who witnessed the resurrection, he says this with conviction. Let me let you know, guys. Jesus is above all. I'm an eyewitness of the resurrection. And anyone that can raise from the dead, I want you to know as John the Apostle, he is above all. So here's our action step. If Christ is going to become preeminent in our life, we must worship him. We must worship him. He's above all. John goes on and he says here, would you look with me? He goes on in verse 32. He says, he bears witness to what he's seen and heard. Now, I want you to write this down as well. It's John chapter 3, verse 31 and 32. Jesus has a heavenly perspective. He has a heavenly perspective. You see, every other religion was made by earthly man. But Jesus comes from heaven and has a heavenly perspective and he gives us a full understanding. And it amazes me that earthly man tries to explain heavenly things. That's why with the Muslim, there's no hope of salvation. You just pray one day that when you come to that bridge that maybe your good deeds have outweighed your bad deeds and you're able to walk across. How can an earthly man describe heavenly things? For the Hindu, that's why they don't have any understanding of God's love and redemption. The Hindu keeps coming back to earth to try to figure it out. How can you explain heavenly things when you were just a man? This is what explain. The Buddhist. The Buddhist is not able to understand faith in God alone as he tries to find or she tries to find peace in herself. What's the action step? We gotta trust him. We gotta trust him. He has a heavenly perspective in everything. John 3.33, excuse me, 3.32, he bears witness to what we've seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. I want you to write it down. Jesus alone has wisdom. Jesus alone has wisdom. Let me explain what what John is saying. John says he's seen it, And he's heard it all. He's been around for eternity. Not only was he there when Isaiah was writing his book, he was whispering to Isaiah what to write. He's seen it. He's heard it all. Jude says, to God alone who is wise. And then John asked the question, and you're not going to go to him? You're not going to believe in him? This is a Jew writing and he's making a statement. No one believes in him? I can't believe this. God alone is wise. And our action step, we must follow him. If we're going to make Christ preeminent and we believe that he is wise, then we are going to follow him. Look at verse 34. John continues his commentary, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus has the Spirit without measure. He's the fullness of God. That's what Paul said to the Colossians church. He represents the fullness of God. See, the Old Testament prophets, they had the Spirit for a limited time and a limited purpose. Spirit would come upon Samson, the Spirit would leave Samson. That's why David begged God, don't take your Spirit from me. We don't have to pray that anymore because His Spirit has sealed us. In the New Testament, we've been given a good measure of God's Spirit 
but we've not been given the Spirit without measure. Only Jesus has been given the Spirit without measure. That's why some of you have the gift of mercy, some of you have the gift of administration, some of you have the gift of teaching. Only Jesus had all the gifts. But in the church, as the body of Christ, we only have one or two. Well, if he's been given the Spirit without measure, can I tell you something? The same Spirit that created the heavens and the earth, action step, we must rely on him. We must rely on him. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything spiritual without Jesus. You must rely on him. Finally, John says this in verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He's given all things. Jesus is the authority. He is preeminent. You see, as the authority, God the Father sent his Son. And God's not a liar. He can't lie. And as the authority, he sent his son. So everything that Jesus says and does is from the father. But as the father, God loves his son. Now let me tell you what John is saying. Remember Jesus is the only son of God. Jewish culture. The son always receives everything of the father. Everything of the father. So as the only son... He wouldn't divide out the inheritance to any other son. Jesus, as the only son, would receive everything. Everything would be placed in his hand from the Father. He has it all. Every bit of God the Father is every bit of Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't abuse this authority. No, he became a moral authority. Jesus set an example, and he said, do as I've done unto you. I'm not going to tell you something and then not do it. I'm not going to be a hypocrite, because I love my dad, and I want you to love him. I'm going to live it in front of you. So now we have a choice. I'm going to ask you the question. John was asked, is Jesus greater in your life, or are you greater in your life? And he gives us a choice here and he says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John gives the first step of this journey. You've got to believe. And he also gives the second step. Your belief will affect your behavior. Is Christ first? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. And I want to thank you in Jesus' name for the great grace of God that you've bestowed on our lives. You've given us the word. Oh, that we might make you first. In Jesus' name. Amen.